right. Exodus chapter uh, 13, please. Exodus 13. Thank you for those testimonies. We have much to be thankful for. Count your many blessings and share them with others. I like that as well. Not only name them, count them. There's a, one of the senior centers I visited this week. Uh, it was count your, not just don't count your blessings, but share them. I think that's the Lawrence County Senior Citizens motto uh, on their building down there in Louisa. I'm going to start reading. Uh, we're going to do the entire chapter, but just to start reading, how about verse 12? I'll start reading 13, 12 of Exodus, and we'll turn on there. We'll turn on here. It's already rumbling along. So if you're tuning in online, we are tonight in Exodus chapter 13. We'll, Lord willing, cover the chapter. And then next time we're going to have the devil between the devil and the deep red sea. That will be next week between the devil and the deep red sea. Sunday morning we will talk about uh, four days late. Four days late. And then the next time we'll talk about Lazarus. And then this coming Wednesday, I believe, is Psalm 24. So you want to read ahead Psalm 24. And so those are the things coming up if you want to read ahead. 13.12 of Exodus, that, that thou shalt set apart unto the Lord all that openeth the matrix, and every firstling that cometh of a beast, which thou hast, the males shall be the Lord's. And every firstling of an ass or donkey thou shalt redeem with a lamb, and if thou wilt not redeem it, then thou shalt break his neck. And all the firstborn of man among the, thy children shall thou redeem. And it shall be when thy son asketh thee in time to come, <clears throat> saying, What is this? But thou shalt say unto him, By strength of hand of the Lord brought us out from Egypt, from the house of bondage. And it came to pass that when Pharaoh would hardly let us go, the Lord slew all the firstborn of the land of Egypt, both the firstborn of man and the firstborn of beast. Therefore I sacrifice to the Lord all that openeth the matrix, being males, but all the firstborn of my children I redeem. Now remember that he was talking to his child, son there, explaining why they're doing these things, 16, and it shall be for a token upon thine hand and for frontlets between thine eyes, for by strength of hand the Lord brought us forth out of Egypt. And it came to pass when Pharaoh had let the people go that God led them not through the way of the land of Philistines, although that was near, for God said, lest peradventure the people repent, uh, return when they see war and they return to Egypt. But God led the people about through the way of the wilderness of the Red Sea. And the children of Israel went up by harnessed uh, out of the land of Egypt. And Moses took the bones of Joseph with him, for he had straightway sworn the children of Israel, saying, God will surely visit you. You shall carry up my bones away with, hence with you, hence with you. And they took their journey from Succoth and camped in Etham and the edge of the wilderness. And the Lord went before them by the day in a pillar of cloud to lead them the way and by night in a pillar of fire, to give them light to go by day and night. And he took not away the pillar of the cloud by day, nor the pillar of the fire by night from before the people. The Shekinah glory of God was given to the Israelites. What an amazing thing. Let us pray for a moment. Lord, I pray that you bless the reading of your word to our hearts. May we, as we contemplate this wonderful truth of, of, of uh not sac well, sacrificing the animals, but, but giving of the firstborn in service to God. That's why they're doing these things here this evening, talking about that. May we learn about that. May we be willing to sacrifice uh, our time of ourselves and Lord, give of ourselves whatever you'd have us to do. Be with uh, Cindy teaching downstairs. Thank you for the safety even of getting them here, uh, even though the limb was in, in the way. We give you praise for your constant care for us. We rejoice in your love that you would be concerned about us. So I ask all these things. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. For jotting down notes, the outline, the first outline is the first, first part is the firstborn are sanctified, and that is 1 and 2 and 12 and 13. We see a person here, Jehovah's rightful claim, 
13.1, And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Sanctify unto me all the firstborn, whatsoever openeth the womb among the children of Israel, both of man and of beast, it is mine. So we're coming to chapter 13. The promise has been fulfilled. God has promised I'm going to take my people out, and they're on the cusp of heading into the promised land. Uh, they could have been there a whole lot easier, earlier than 40 years, but they're going to wander for a bit. But God has brought them out of Egypt. It's God's program. And he, he killed the first, or uh, slew the firstborn of the Egyptians, beast and man. And they need to be reminded of all that God has done for them. So God is setting up sanctifying uh, unto me all the firstborn whatsoever openeth the womb. So the firstborn child, now if it's a child, obviously it's not sacrificing, but it's giving them to God for service. Uh, Samuel was given to God for service. And so that's the idea here. Why? Well, he told his son there in 14 and 15, because God slew the firstborn. And it's a reminder for us what God has done. We need to, re- I just like the testimonies tonight, what God has done for us. He, he died. We might have life everlasting. Jesus came to give us eternal life. Not only has he made us, he has bought us and redeemed us, and we are his. Whoever has made you, we're his. And we are, that's what this basically, what, we have no life without him. Where would, the, where would the Israelites be without God's divine intervention and bringing them out of Egypt? They'd still be in Egypt. The Israelites then needed to recognize God saved their firstborn by the blood of the lamb or goat, and God purchased him or her, uh, thus he owns him, deserves the first and best place, and whatever God has given Israel, they need to give back the very best. The animals, the spoils of war, the harvest, that's why God said the first fruits. So the very first big giant tomato that Mr. Womack, if he had been in Bible times, he'd have got out there and he'd gotten that tomato out of the garden, and he did, perhaps he said, okay, here we go. This is my offering to my very first big tomato. Here we are. That's the idea. Maybe he wouldn't have given that away. Maybe he looked for a stronger one somewhere along the line. But the idea was, I think sometimes that we, we give leftovers. Now, I like leftovers, especially lasagna. I think lasagna is better the next day, the second day after that, maybe even warmed up real nice and tight, with, hot with some, uh, with some uh, garlic bread on there. Mmm. I like those things. But God does not like leftovers. I'm telling you, you should be giving him the best. When, you're, when, you get your, when you get paid, get your, with your text, whatever, God comes off the top. It's not like I'm going to wait till the end. This is not my, my notes. <laughs> I'm off my notes. I, I, it's not like we wait till the end of the week. And if I, have, if I have enough left, I will give something. That's not the idea. The entire Bible is we give, we give to God. I personally think that 10% is not the ceiling of a giving. It's the floor of your giving. It's the basic starting point. We tithe off and we tithe off our gross. That's, 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 that's what we do. So I think it, God, and by the way, you cannot outgive God. You cannot outgive God. He will not be indebted to any of us. McGee, Vernon McGee says, Many Christians do not give him the first place. God claims our best, our very best. God claims the first of everything. Even though he wants first place in our lives, many believers put him last, and that creates a problem. If we have time, we work for the Lord, but most of our time is spent on personal interests and amusements. We usually give the Lord what is left over, end of quote. That's sad. I should be giving him my first. The first thing in the morning or the evening, last thing, whatever, whenever you have your devotions, 
you've got to set that in granite. So I know for me every morning, 5.15, the buzzer rings, and I get up by and by 5.25 or 5.27 or 5.28, I'm on my bike riding. And I've got 25 minutes to get my seven miles in. And so I keep track of how I got how, how tight I've got to make it to get my seven miles in. My 25 minutes exactly is all I do. I'm off there, get in the shower, etc. get my clothes on, shave my face, and comb my hair. It takes about three seconds for that. Comb my hair, shave my face, and then I'm out into the chair. Get me a little breakfast sometimes. And you have got to have that sink. Now, you don't have to do it by a ritual by any means, but you need to have a schedule Set apart for God, and he deserves our first and best. So the person is we, Christ, God is deserving, and the people sanctify, verse 2, unto me all the firstborn. Sanctify is a command, it means to set apart for Jehovah. The Septuagint uh, uses the verb agiazo, aorist imperative, just do it. Set apart, which describes, which is uh, for the, for the, it's from the profane or common and set apart to the Lord. It's from this and to that. Deliverance of Egypt was to be commemorated not only by the feast of the unleavened bread, but also by the acknowledgement of the redemption of the firstborn. So every time that the first child is born from the womb, the first male child is born, we consecrate that child to God. Why? Because back in Egypt, he redeemed the entire our nation and saved our firstborn. So we're going to give that back to God. That's the whole purpose of this redeeming of the firstborn one commentator said, if God acts in grace toward his people, he thereby establishes claims upon them. And it is these claims of the firstborn that are unfolded. And Pink says, clearly, a redeemed people become the property of the Redeemer. We're his child, are you not? We're happy to say that when we're in church and then amen and all those things. But what about when we have problems or difficulties? We're still his child. What about when he claims uh, part of our our salary. What about when he claims our time? What about when he claims our resources? What about when he claims us doing something for him? Are we still as gung-ho about it as we are in front of other people? I trust that you are. We are to be worshiping. Interesting, the quadresh, the quadesh, the uh, word in Hebrew, sanctify means to refers to anything reserved exclusively for God, signifies an act or a state in which people or things are set apart for use in the worship of God, and they are consecrated or made sacred for that purpose. And that's the piano, my thinking, we got the piano last year, and that's that's set apart for God's service, right? You know, and so I, I'm careful. I, I don't come around here and play honky-tonk stuff on it. And so, uh, especially in, I, I want to play uh, music to honor and glorify him. No, my wrong notes, uh, I'm, you know, they don't necessarily glorify the Lord as much as the right notes, but that piano is for God's service, right? And that's what I'm thinking for. And this pulpit and the pews and the Bibles and, and the music we have, and these things are set aside for God's service. And so that's, that you understand then sanctifying. Then the priority in verse 12, jumping to verse 12, that thou shalt set apart unto the Lord all that cometh uh, openeth the matrix, and every firstling that cometh of a beast, which thou hast, the male shall be the Lord's. Interesting, there's a verbal wordplay here. That as Yahweh passed over the Hebrews during the tenth plague, that very ominous night back in chapter 12, the Hebrews now are to set apart or to pass over their firstborn to him. So when the firstborn son is born, we say, Lord, this is your child to use, and we're going to raise him for your service, whatever you call him to do. If he's a Levite, perhaps serve in that capacity, or whatever you want for him, he's yours. And so they passed over their son to the Lord, 
to do. Now, it was taken very wrongly by the pagans when they would make their children pass through, pass over the fire. Remember that? Even Manasseh, I believe, was one of the kings of, of uh, Israel, Judah. Kings of Israel, Judah. Uh, I think it's Manasseh will be king of Judah. Uh, he made his children pass. Can you imagine that? Making your child, but I just but before I even start down that road, I look at our own country of what we don't even get a chance to get out of the womb, and we are making before we even end their lives. Passing through to put your child who's living and breathing into the hands of a red hot, uh, 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 or throw into the belly of a red hot uh, statue and hear them wail and scream and no God and and the right kind of God would ever require that kind of thing. Openeth means simply to uh, to separate or first opens. Uh, we find that Peter this word is p a t a r meaning to free or to release. We find that really something that simply opens or the womb is simply open the first time, and that's the child that is to be dedicated to the Lord. It says the males. He says that the, uh, that you own, but the truth is uh, the males belong to God. The first the first ones that are born. Presumably the male beasts were sacrificed unless there was an unclean animal like a donkey, which would either be killed, indicating it longer was to be valuable to the person, or be redeemed by a lamb. Thirteen. And every firstling of an ass or donkey thou shalt redeem with a lamb, and if thou wilt not redeem it, then thou shalt break its neck, and all the firstborn of man among thy children shalt thou redeem. Now, interesting, the firstborn females evidently were exempted. The text probably then mentions the donkey because uh, they were the main means of transport. So what it's saying here, the first donkey that comes out of the female donkey's womb, they are to be, uh, uh, well, what you can do, either you are to give a lamb, because they're so valuable, God graciously said, a lamb will cover it. Offer the lamb. If you don't do that, you got to kill it. And, and that we're not, why did it say break their neck? Because if they did some kind of a knife where they cut its throat or something like that, it might be misinterpreted as a sacrifice. So we're not to do that. But this first donkey that comes out uh, of the donkey's womb there from the mom is to be taken care of by the blood of the lamb instead of, if you're not going to do that, then we're going to kill the donkey. Why? Because God says he deserves the first. That's the whole point of this, is God has redeemed his people. They're his people, and he saved them from Egypt. And now, as a remembrance, we are to do that. One man says, the rites were meant to be more than symbols, more than memorials. They were to be visual vivid aids by which the older generation could instruct the younger in the ways of God. Man's memory is all too short at best. And that's it. Why do we have the communion service at least once a quarter, once a month, some have every week? It's to remember what Jesus did for us. That's why we have that remembrance for it. And they're not and can you imagine Israel is what it's almost what four thousand years they've been alive or as a nation, almost four thousand years, maybe close to that now. Can you imagine how quickly how quickly we forget? Remember nine eleven. What was that about? And the younger what was nine eleven about? Well, on nine eleven of two thousand and one, this terrible thing happened in America. What about D Day? What about Normandy? What about those things? Do you see Vietnam, Korea? I, I, I praise the Lord for those who give given so much for our nation. But if we don't remind ourselves and have memorials, we're going to forget the price that was paid, and we have forgotten that as a nation in so many regards. Not necessarily the older ones of our nation, like myself, but the younger ones. We just we just need to be reminded, not in a 
a negative way necessarily, but just what has been done for our freedom. The firstborn are sanctified. Secondly, the feast is summarized in 13.3 through 11 and 14 and 15. We see the remembering in chapter 13, verse 3, the remembering. It says, And Moses said unto the people, Remember this day in which ye came out from Egypt, out of the house of bondage. For by strength of hand the Lord brought you out from this place. There shall no leaven bread be eaten. Remember this day. What a command. Uh, continually conscious effort to remember this day as you're walking through the rest of your life. Remember, well, Grandpa, sit down and look, tell me about this. And I remember as my mom was, as, was heading toward her trip, uh, promotion to glory, oh, tell us about this, Mike. We get in there now, tell me about our, our family. Because if we don't know, then, our, then my, certainly my children and my grandchildren aren't going to know. So that's part of that. Re- make a continual effort to remember the Septuagint translate with a Hebrew word to remember Zakar, the Greek word there for the Septuagint means is an imperative, a command in the present tense calls for that continual remembrance. And the Greek word is there, the verbs in the second person plural. So the command is directed not just to an individual, but to all individuals of the nation. You, nation, all of you, remember. For by strength of hand, the Lord brought you out. Can you imagine if we all had t-shirts tonight? I would like if I had it ready and could have thought ahead of time. For by strength of the hand, or I have delivered by a powerful hand. Can you imagine if you put, I have delivered by a powerful hand on the front back of your shirt. You go into the mall or somewhere. What does that mean, I have delivered? Well, let me just tell you what God has done. Delivered me by a powerful hand. Wasn't it the power of God that raised our Savior from the dead? The power of God that created the world? The power of God that brought Egypt or Israelites out of Egypt? Power of God by a powerful hand. And no leavened bread. So again, now I, I don't know if they had the, the uh, Texas Roadhouse rolls back then. But can you imagine you're used to the Texas Roadhouse roll and you're just looking forward to that slathered in that honey butter. Mm, I could probably eat five drop of a hat. Mm. And, then, and then all of a sudden we're having this, this flat bread that has no taste whatsoever. What, 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 why don't we have this leavened bread? I'll tell you, we're having unleavened bread. We're having it for a week. And let me just tell you why. Because God brought us out. By a powerful hand. And we had to eat with our, our, our I'm not going to use that old joke again, I used it two weeks in a row. A staff in the hand, we had the, we had the, 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 beating the dough and the staff here, the crook here, and we had all these things going on, and we were ready to go, and that's why we're eating unleavened bread. And when are you going to eat it? Verse 4, this day came ye out of the month of Abib. That's it. Abib means a young ear or grain, ripe but soft. Thus it became a designation of a specific time of year, the time of the first harvest. We came out and God blessed us and sent us on our way. Five, and it shall be when the Lord shall bring thee into the land of the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Amorites and the Hivites and the Jebusites which ye swear unto thy fathers to give thee, a land flowing with milk and honey, that thou shalt keep the service in this month. Very clearly, there's no, deli- there's no like waffling. There is no, if you want to, you're going to do this. This is what God expects of you. Interesting, the, uh, the, the uh, Passover was, sadly, was a, I was reading here, uh, the Passover was only one Passover during the 40 years of their sojourn in the wilderness. Also, they had stopped the rite of circumcision, which they corrected there as they're getting ready or going into the promised land after they first entered or getting ready to go in. The remembering, and then there's the regulating in, in six, seven days, shalt thou eat unleavened bread, on the seventh day shall be a feast unto the Lord. 
And verse 7 says, Unleavened bread shall be eaten seven days, and there shall no leavened bread be seen with thee. Neither shall there be leaven seen with thee in all thy corners. Not only eating, you can't even see it. You have to put those raised yeast rolls. My mom used to make uh, the homemade bread. And I saw a, I saw an, a recipe, which I took a picture of, is the Amish bread. <laughs> Big local Amish bread. Wow, i like to have some of that. You can't have it right now. You've got to put that all away. We can't even see it. You've got to put it away during this week. Unleavened bread only. Regulations. And then the rehearsing in eight and thou shalt show thy son in that day, saying, This is done because of that which the Lord did unto me when I came forth out of, the, out of Egypt. Can you imagine the father telling his son, maybe years down the, years down the road, that I had to slay your favorite lamb that very night. Do you remember that? Oh, yes. yes. It's because of this. Interesting. And what he says there, uh, and he, thou shalt show thy son in that day, saying, this is done because of that which the Lord did unto me. The father was, it was, I, can you imagine? You were the one of the ones that came out, and I'm sure as the time went on, they lost that uh, first person, I was there that very night thing, but they were to carry it on for all the rest of their lives and to the lives of their people. Verse 9, it shall be a sign unto thee upon thine hand, and um, there, but there were a memorial between thine eyes, that the Lord's law may be in thy mouth, for with a strong hand hath the Lord brought thee out of Egypt. Now I'm thinking practical is the hand and the mental is between thine eyes, but you well know the Jewish people even today, I believe today, they would even use the phylacteries, etc. But they took it as a literal sign. I'm thinking uh, the hand is a practical aspect and base, the mental is... Keep your mind upon the right kind of things. But we have the phylactery, or it's called a T-E-Teflin, Teflin, T-E-F-I-L-L-I-N, which are bound around the arm or on the forehead. Phylacteries are a square leather box, and they're containing four strips of parchment. I did not know that, but they have on these parchments Deuteronomy 11, Deuteronomy 6, Exodus 13, and Exodus 19. Four passages, four pieces of parchment, and they are put in the box. And that one has four. The one on the arm only has one. And so they, there was a law regarding how big the straps were uh, regarding how... Uh, and that's where the uh, in the New Testament, the way would make these bands so noticeable to be a, well, look at what... Look at my... Look at these things. It became a... a part of pride for them. Uh, the one strapped to the arm was called the shell yad, S-E-H-E-L-Y-A-D, had one compartment. The one on the forehead was called a shell rosh. It had four compartments and had the Hebrew shin on both sides, sheen on both sides printed on there. And they had these things secured by straps and there was a, there was a, a code of what ink to use, what parchment to use, and how wide your straps would be. And so the Pharisees said, wow, look at me. Look what I have done. And they had all these tassels. Can you imagine? I remember in Sunday school when I had those little pins, and I'd wear them on the first Sunday and have all these pins. I still got that pin with all the little bars down there. They had all their tassels. Look at, look at how righteous I am. And so they, they took that, instead of being a practical guide and a mental thinking upon the things of God, they said, oh no, we're going to strap them on here and we're going to strap them in the box right here. And that's going to be the frontless between our eyes. So the, the firstborn are sanctified, the feast is summarized, and then in 17, the faithful are strengthened. And it came to pass when Pharaoh had let the people go that God led them not through the way of the land of Philistines, 
although that was near, for God said, Lest peradventure the people repent when they see war and they return to Egypt. We find in the songwriter has said, He leadeth me, O blessed thought, O words of heavenly comfort fraught, where'er I do, where'er I be, still. Tis God's hand that leadeth me, and when my task on earth is done, when by thy grace the victory's won, even this cold wave I will not flee, since God through Jordan leadeth me. And he led them. It was not an easy way. Uh, Wearsby talks about, says this, uh, Eisenhower said, History does not long entrust the care of freedom to the weak or the timid. History does not long entrust the care of freedom to the weak and timid. Freedom isn't free. There's a song that Brother Fox has. It's not free. It's very, very costly. And it takes a lot of gumption to keep it going, if you would. He said that on his inaugural address in 1953. As a man who had helped the Allies win World War II, Eisenhower knew a great deal about the high cost of victory and the heavy burden of freedom. We have, we've seen our own nation, how sometimes we come and go on our taking care of our own freedom, the world's freedom. One British novelist, Charles Kinsley, said, There are two freedoms, the false, where a man is free to do what he likes, and the true, where a man is free to do what he ought. Amen. We need a freedom to do what we ought to do. Throughout the history, though, the nation of Israel struggled with the truth of these freedoms just as God's people struggle with them today. It's a mark of maturity when we learn that freedom is a tool to build with, not a toy to play with, and that freedom involves accepting responsibility. Now, if you were, verse 17, if you were to leave Egypt and go toward uh, the Philistine area, there is the way of the sea, and there was the way of the shore. The way, S-H-U-R, the way of the sea was called the Via Maris, and that was been maybe a 10-day walk to Gaza. If they had gone along that way, um, they're walking, <laughs> gone along that way, there were Egyptian stations or Roman stations there, and they would have been in conflict, and there would have been some struggle. So God sends them, if we're going to green up, he sends us out route two, all the way down to seven, all the way to Grayson, all the way down to 64, and all the way to Ashland, all the way through Cannonsburg, all the way back 23, all the way down into green up. My goodness, that's a long way. It's just right over here, yes, but God's going to, we're going to go the long circuitous route. But God, God has a plan because things might happen and we're only a two-day walk from Egypt. Let's just go back. Why would you say that? Well, the verse says for us right here, lest peradventure the people repent or change their minds when they see war and they return to Egypt. The Egyptians had fortresses on this quick road. A lot of people took the quick road, the scenic, the scenic route to up to the Philistine area. Not for, the, not for the Egyptians, or not for the Israelites. They're going to go through the land of Sinai, down the Sinai Peninsula, etc. We find then it was, it was important that they have this length of time to remember God, and God's going to direct and all that. They don't have a change of mind. If they're a short way from Egypt, they might want to go back. We should be said, Israel's exodus from Egypt wasn't the end of their experience with God. It was the new beginning. It took one night to take Israel out of Egypt, but took 40 years to take Egypt out of Israel. If Israel obeyed his word, God would bring them to the promised land and give them their inheritance. So there was the letting, and then there is the leading in verse 18. But God led the people about through the way of the wilderness to the Red Sea, and the children of Israel went up harnessed out of the land of Egypt. 
The word harness there really carries a mindset. And, and the original 1611, it had a little a footnote in that said, by five in a rank. And so it looked margin in here, and, uh, the original 16, by five in a rank. And that's the idea. It wasn't like everybody put on a harness and they drove them out. No, just the opposite. It was orderly. Can you imagine two million people leaving a country by foot and by donkey, whatever, in one night? You would have had, I believe you would have had to have plans ahead of time. You're in charge of here, charge of a thousand, charge of a hundred, charge of ten, charge of ten thousand, charge of a hundred thousand. You're one of my two main captains and you're responsible to get all your people out of the land. I'm telling you, there had to be organization for every single home to be ready to have the blood on the door. Moses was highly organized, I believe. They harnessed them. That's the idea, to go out by rank, or at least 19. And Moses took the bones of Joseph uh, with him, for he had straightly sworn the children of Israel. Joseph had saying, God will surely visit you, and he shall carry up my bones away hence with you. Some 360 years earlier, Joseph had said, listen, you're going to leave. And when you leave, take my bones with you. And I'm going, why? Why would that happen? Why would Joseph want to be buried in the promised land? Why remove his body and bury it there? Why not just simply stay in Egypt? He had such a, a camaraderie, if you will, and a place, a position of authority in Egypt. But if you remember back to Old Testament time, the Old Testament saints did not understand all we understand now. So what they believed was they want to be in the promised land. So when they are raised and led, they're popped right up here in the promised land. And Christ is going to be the king. And so I want to be buried in the land of promise. So when God raises me, I'm right there, ready to go. That's the mindset. They didn't understand all we know now about heaven, etc. This the church age. They did not see that. What they saw was the promise, by the way, of a millennial kingdom which has not yet been fulfilled. I'm a pre-trib, pre-millennialist. That the, he's going to rule for a literal thousand years on this earth. And they've been waiting for that all this time. Matter of fact, in the New Testament, it wasn't over and over. When's the kingdom coming? When's it going to have the sign? The sign? When are we going to be reigning with you? And, and matter of fact, Lord, can my sons, can they sit one on your right hand and one on your left? Well, that's not mine to give, etc. It took their journey then from Succoth and encamped in Etham at the edge of the wilderness. Now, today's Suez Canal connects the Red Sea with the Mediterranean Sea, we, and we know that. Archaeologists have not defined or identified with certainty. A lot of these places would be like little whole, like four acres, F-O-R-A-K-E-R, four acre Kentucky. Well, if you blink twice, you've missed it. It's a little spot on the road. We had one general's little general store and a little room with a, with a grate on it that was the mail, mail room. And the same lady did all the mail and did the general store too and pumped the gas. And so if you did not know you're going through Four Acre, there was not even signs on the road. And so a lot of these places they camp in, there's just no exact precise point. Perhaps it was a watering hole. Other things, and so we find then they, they, uh, the journey from Succoth to Etham, etc. One man said, "Everyone's questioning. We just don't know exactly where all these spots were that they stop." But God was leading, and there was the lighting, and finally there was the lighting. L i g h t i n g, verse twenty-one. And the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of a cloud to lead them, to lead them the way, and by night a pillar by fire to give them light to go by day and night. Fanny Crosby said, 
all the way. My Savior leads me, cheers each winding path I tread, gives me grace for every trial, feeds me with the living bread. So I believe this pillar was, we would call it either a theophany, the Shekinah glory of God, a Christophany, but it was God's direct, uh, talk about even Sunday school, Mr. Lauderdale mentioned how eventually then it led them, and then it, when the tabernacle, it stopped, and, and then the temple was, and God's glory filled the temple. They couldn't even stand it when Solomon's temple was built. And so this cloud led them by day and watched over them by night. I believe it was really indicative of God's glory. McGee says again, the children of Israel were moving toward the hot burning desert with even Moses called a great and terrible wilderness. They went through it and did not even get sunburned because they had a pillar of cloud over them by day and the nation had something that no other nation has ever had, the glory, the visible presence of God. Isn't that amazing? Don't you wish we had that today for America? The glory, the visible presence of God over our country. Now he has blessed us. We've not... Maybe the clouds sort of like spread out a little bit now, but wait, he has blessed us beyond measure. F.B. Meyer, I like what F.B. Meyer says. He says that when the excessive heat made it necessary for Israel to march at night, the light of the fiery pillar was enough to light the way. And when in the day the scorching glare of the sun was blinding, the cloud spread itself abroad like a great umbrella so that the women and children could travel in comparative comfort. Have you ever thought about that? 40? How your skin would be like leather. 40 years in the, in the desert, wandering in this hot desert sun, and if God didn't protect them. Have you ever thought about that? I know he gave us shoes that, they not gave us, gave them shoes that didn't wear out. They had quail. They had manna every morning. God provided them in a miraculous way and took care of them. His presence, his visible presence was with his children. I'm telling you, if I was one of the Hittites, Hivites, Jumpsites, whatever they were over there, Jebusites, were there, I would be like, whoa, what kind of God is this? Look at the people. They're just, their God is with them all the time. Let's just, we better just leave them alone. So, so this Savior, is he your shepherd? Are you expecting to go to heaven when you die? I trust that you are. I trust that you are ready. Uh, the greatest of gifts, and I read this humorous story about a lady who wanted, uh, waited till the very last minute to send all her Christmas cards. And so she rushed to a store and she bought a package of 50 Christmas cards without even looking at them. She just simply signed them did this, and put a stamp on them and sent them out. 49 of 50, she said. Well, Christmas Day came, and at the, at, the, at the end of Christmas Day, she said, you know what, she found that last one that she had not uh, sent out. She opened it and wanted to see, well, what did I really send to all these people that I sent these cards to? She found this, all of her friends, much to her chagrin. The card read this, this card is just to say, a little gift is on the way. <laughs> And she went, oh my goodness gracious, suddenly she realized that 49 of her friends were expecting a gift from her that would never come. I'm telling you tonight, the gift has come. It's the Savior. It's the Savior. And he's the greatest of gifts. If you and I never get one gift ever in the rest of our life, tangible gift from anybody, husband, wife, children, we still have the greatest gift if we lose our shirt tomorrow, we still have the greatest of gifts. He who has the world and God has no more than he who has God alone. 
That's a paraphrase from Tozier. Let us thank God for his gift. He has led us. Trust he's leading you all the way. Let us pray. Lord, I'm just thankful that you have you led the Israelite people clear. And Lord, you will lead us. But we are sheep. Lord, and you know that better than anyone. And Lord, sometimes we are ornery sheep. We are wayward sheep. We are straying sheep. But Lord, we are to follow you. And Lord, if we are not following, we are being disobedient. So Lord, if we have gotten off on the wrong trail, if we allow things into our lives that are not godly, if we've lost a vision of holiness, may that help us, Lord, to see it in your word. If we stop reading the Bible, as we should, and stop praying for others, Lord, convict us. It's just something that needs to be convicted about and we need to change. So Lord, help us to have a passion for, for you, uh, a desire to see lost people become uh, saved, to receive you as their own personal Savior. And may we walk with you this week. Thank you for leading us along. In Jesus' name I pray.